You may be seated. Well, good morning. Happy Advent. Good morning. Let's try it again. Warm up. Here we go. We're back. Welcome to Church of the Apostles. I want to welcome everyone who's visiting today. Uh, we are so glad that you've joined us, and our, joined us, and our prayer is that you will sense the Holy Spirit's presence here today as we worship God at Advent, as we think about Him and sing to Him and pray to Him and hear about Him and talk to Him. Um, if you're visiting today on your bulletin, there's a Connect card. We'd love for you to fill it out so we can say hello and answer any questions. We won't bother you. We'll send you a quick note and just ask if we can help you in any way uh, and reach out this week. Today begins the second week of Advent. If you're uh, not familiar with the church uh, liturgical year, the church calendar, then Advent might seem foreign to you. What's going on with all of the purple? And uh, we began last week. And what we do during Advent, as we said last week, is we crescendo toward Christmas. We start small and we work our way big. And in Advent, as well as that, we are considered, we are invited to consider time on God's scale and in three movements. The first movement is the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. This is the time of Jesus breaking into history as a baby. It is the incarnation. The second grand movement of God that we are to consider is the second coming of Emmanuel, the second advent, when Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to set up his rule and reign on earth, which the prophet Isaiah talked about, where little children will play over a cobra's nest and sleep with their head on an adder's den, where the lion and the lamb lay down together. Where Jesus reigns and shalom rules. Where the hope we live in now becomes totally realized in the loving embrace of God the Father. This is the second advent, the second movement that we consider. The third movement on God's grand scale is the intermediate time between the first advent, the incarnation, and the one I just spoke of. This is the time Jesus is actively changing our hearts and minds to be his agent of both of these advents, to be people who speak with power and authority and love and hope that Jesus has come, that he is setting things right even now, and that he will come again. And the work that he is doing now will be complete. That is the time we live. There's tension between the two advents, my friends, for us. And all God's people said, duh. (laughs) There's tension between the two advents. We are assured that through the first advent of Christ, God is restoring all of creation to his original intention. Yet... We feel the weight of sin in all of creation, including our own hearts. As we wait for Jesus to come again to rule and reign, we are assured that the light has come already, yet we are aware of the darkness as we wait for the second advent, for things to be made right once and for all. There's a tension in the here and now. I have been and want to continue to invite us to embrace this tension. 
Not to run from it, not to hide from it, not to simply lament it, although lament should be part of it. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, ultimately, are they? Not yet. We start with how long, O oh Lord, do we have to live in this tension? So lament is part of it, but it's not all of it. There is embracing of the tension. And our scripture today not only talks about these three periods of time, but it gives us some very specific instruction of how to embrace the tension of Advent, the intermediate time between. And it is summed up in one small word. We have sung about it already. We've prayed it already. Does anyone know what the word, and and Paul, welcome back, Paul. Paul read it beautifully from Paul. Does anyone know the word? One word, small word. Oh, come on, wake up. Somebody must, give it a shot. It's okay if you're wrong. Hope, wait's a good word, next week. Walter's (laughs) going to talk about it next week. Next week, church. Hope is the word. Hope. Paul writes in Romans 15, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. He writes at the very last verse that uh, Paul read, May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's these words, you may abound in hope. You may abound in hope. What Paul is saying in this verse is first, hope comes from God. In fact, Paul is going a little bit further. He actually bestows upon God a title (coughs) in verse 13. He calls him something. It's a title. It's as if Paul is inviting us to address God a certain way as the God of all hope. Paul gives him a title in the benediction. The God of all hope. All hope comes from God. He is the originator of hope. And since this is true, God is the only place where we can find ultimate hope. Hmm. I don't use words like only very often. I even couch this one a little bit with ultimate. You know, I get a little nervous. God is the only place that we can find hope. It is. Now, that may seem like hard news today, like there's only one place to find hope. But it's not hard news. It is actually good news this morning. It's good news. Since God is the God of all hope, and because he is the only place that we can find hope, here's what's true about hope. Hope is grounded in the character of God. If he's the God of all hope, if that's his title, then hope is grounded in his character. Well, how does that work? How does that work? Well, I'll tell you how it works. Hope is all-powerful then when it's found in God. If God is omniscient and he is the God of all hope, if we find our hope in him and him alone, then hope is all-powerful. It can't be tossed about to and fro. It can't be moved. It can't be shaken. It can't be broken when it's found in God alone. 
Because if God is the God of all hope, then his hope carries with it his attributes. His hope is unchangeable. Do you know that this is an attribute of God we don't talk about much? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So like God, his hope stays consistent. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. It doesn't change. He doesn't offer you one hope today and you put your trust in it and then he offers you another hope tomorrow, a different one. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That hope wasn't right. This is the hope you should go with. Oh, no, no, no. That hope's not right. This is the hope you should come to. Oh, today your hope should be in your friends and family. Oh, they failed you? Okay, my bad, my bad. Today, your hope should be in your checkbook. Oh, no, no, that, well, your checkbook doesn't look very good. No, no, that doesn't work. Today, your hope should be... That's not God's hope. God's hope doesn't change. It stays static and consistent. It's all-powerful. It's not tossed about. God's hope is eternal. It has always been. It will always be. It won't run out. You can't exhaust it. I'm just hoping in God too much. You're just putting too much hope in me. God will never say that to us. He's the God of all hope. Therefore, his hope is unchangeable and all-powerful and eternal. This is good And so Paul first is saying, before he says anything else, that God is the God of all hope. And then he blesses the Romans. He blesses us as God's people. And he says something that we often use, language that we often use in benedictions. He starts with this little word, may the God of all hope, right? May the God of all hope fill you with abounding is the other beautiful thing about hope is that it's not this kind of ethereal up there what do we do oh we're just gonna hang on for dear life and hope (coughs) in fact in this passage of scripture hope is an action it is something that we do it's something we do i see some head shaking others going really yeah hope is something We do. When hope abounds, it is actively evident. When those of us who say that we love God and that we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ abound in hope, it is active, it moves, it's visible, it's evident, it changes things. We do it. And Paul says we do it in two ways. Well, he says we do it in a lot of ways, but I only have time for two today. So you should read that scripture again. There's others in there. But let me just give you two, and, and they're, um, they're shocking. The first one's shocking. It's shocking. The first one he says, in verse 2, he starts with it. Our hope abounds when Christians leave, live to please our neighbors by seeking their good and building them up. Now, let me talk about the word neighbor here for just a minute because you may transpose on that other Christians. But that, the word neighbor here is defined by Jesus. This is a very specific word that Paul is using. Remember that Jesus turned the definition of neighbor um, right side up, right? It was upside down when he got here. Everybody was, de- was they, were, they were defining neighbor by people they liked. 
right? Jews were defining neighbor by other Jews. Like, I like other Jews. They're my neighbor. And, and Samaritans were defining neighbor by other Samaritans. I like Samaritans. They're my neighbor. And, and, and people were defining neighbors as friends. Well, they're my friends. I like them. They're my neighbors. Now, certainly, all of those people are our neighbors. Our friends are our neighbors. People who are like us are our neighbors, right? But Jesus turns a definition of neighbor upside down, and he expands it to include our friends, our actual neighbors, people that live around us, strangers, people we disagree with, and our enemies. And the room goes quiet, right? When Paul's using the word neighbor, this is not a mistaken word, y'all. It's not. He is talking about our friends, our actual neighbors, strangers, people we disagree with, and our enemies. And he says, if hope is going to abound, we must seek to build them up. We must seek to please them. We must seek their good. Our enemies, Brian, you've got to have this wrong. I don't have it wrong. Strangers, they're scary. Yep. And Paul says for hope to abound, we must do hope. We must seek the good of our neighbors. Paul's wrapping up his letter to the Christians in Rome when he says all of this. He's coming to the end. There's only one more chapter after this, and he's wrapping it up. And just to be as, just to be as succinct about the book of Romans as I can, what Paul is encouraging the church at Rome to do is to come together to unify under God's grace, to, to shed the law, and to unify under God's grace. And, and Paul simply defines God's grace in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 8. Maybe you know this. Um, it's just a simple phrase. God commended his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the summary of God's grace, of Paul's invitation. And then in verse 15, 3 here, Paul says that we should build up our neighbors because Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul's quoting Psalm uh, 69, actually, but that, isn't the, that shouldn't be the verses ringing necessarily in our heads. You know the verses that really should be ringing in our heads? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8 in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why should we edify our neighbors? Because when you and I were hopeless, Jesus emptied himself and lifted us up. He sought our good. He died on a cross. He was neighborly. I love Peterson's translation of this in the message. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way the scriptures say it. 
One way for hope to abound this Advent is to have the good of our neighbors in our hearts and to build them up by showing them the same love that Jesus showed us when we were sinners. That's one way. A second way for hope to abound is us to live together as Christians in harmony. For this intermediate time between the Advents, abounding hope can be elusive under the weight of the present darkness. Abounding hope can be elusive under the weight of the present darkness. We, second week in Advent is always the hope week. I don't know if you knew that. It's always hope week. It's always. It's all the scriptures about hope, right? We're, we're recognizing the tension we live in. It's always about hope. And everybody always asks me, well, what is, just got to give me a little quippy thing, Brian. What's hope? I can tell you this, hope's not something I can define. It's an action we have to do. We won't know real hope unless we seek the good of our neighbors and unify under the banner of Christ with one another. And that's what Paul's inviting us to do. Unifying with others who have the hope of God brings us endurance for the times when our hope wavers under the weight of darkness. Can you hear me say that? I think it's Bonhoeffer who says something like this. The voice in my brother is often stronger than the spirit in my own heart. When we're under the weight of darkness, there are times that even the Holy Spirit in us seems far away and we're under the weight and we're not sure what to do. And so Jesus says, unify together under my cross. For hope to abound, we need a little help from our friends. And so... We practice abounding hope through building up our neighbors and living in harmony together. And these two things cannot be separated, by the way. I love living in harmony with others. Give me that. Man, eh, building up my neighbors, not so much. Or some of us might be saying, you know, church people are weird. I want to, my neighbors are cool. I'll stick with them. <laughs> Sorry. Paul's very clear in the passage. I don't have time to tell you how, but he's very clear to say these two things are linked You cannot extract them from one another. They're linked. They're linked. We practice abounding hope through building up our neighbors and living in harmony together. And so just a few things that we've talked about that we're trying to do together this Advent. We come together tonight and we're going to walk around and knock on our neighbor's doors and sing them songs. I don't know. I don't know how this tradition ever got started. What a weird thing we're going to do tonight. That's right. We're going to go and knock on doors We're going to sing them songs. We're going to give them a great invitation to come and join us next week. I can't wait to do it. Uh, You can come about 4.30 and get some hot chocolate. I don't know how cold it's supposed to be. It was cold this morning, so I'm not sure how cold it's supposed to be. But come get some hot chocolate, and about 5, we'll start singing. We're going to go around and uh, do some caroling. We're going to invite people to come next week, and then come next week as hosts. And we're going to come and sing some more and have some more hot chocolate. And we're going to sing and talk and think and pray about the gospel, the love of God, the hope that abounds. You should come to both of those. Bring mittens and hats and scarves and socks and non-perishable goods and put them on or under the tree with our friends from Redef Shalom who have filled one of those boxes already and they're going to keep helping us out. Bring that so that we can give them to our neighbors in need. Like our psalm said, Jesus meets the needs of the needy. We want to join him in that work. We should stay today and eat together. 
at our family table. Our friends from Rodef Shalom, our closest neighbors in this part of the world, have opened up friend hall to us. We're going to go to the big room, and we're going to have we're going to have uh, we're going to have our meal in there in the big room, and it's all done for you. You're like, I didn't bring something. We didn't ask you to bring anything. It's all done for you, and it's going to be in there. And we, I will just tell you this: we get this thing catered. There is food enough for everybody in this room, everybody in the children's rooms, plus everybody else in the neighborhood. Well, maybe not that many, but there's a lot of food. We usually give a lot of food away. So if you weren't planning on staying, plan now. It's a way we come together and we talk about and practice hope. Hope abounds when we edify our neighbors, when we build them up for their good, and when we live in harmony together. So that's what we do and why we do it. But there is a question about how. How do we do all this? Well, Paul gives us three things, and believe me, I'm wrapping up very quickly. But in this, the first is this. Scripture. Scripture gives us endurance and encouragement to have hope. It is the good of our neighbors is found in Holy Scripture. It is which it is profitable to tell us what is good. Scripture unifies us under God's goodness and the hope that indwells us. So on the table out here, we said it last week, we have the daily office. We have a one-year reading plan. If you like to read in a year, you can do that. If you do the daily office as it's printed, it would be in two years. Join us and do Scripture together. It's been very profitable for us. The encouragement of Scripture helps us. This is how we cultivate abounding hope. The power of the Holy Spirit cultivates abounding hope. It's been, it was all over our readings today, yes? John says from the beginning, before Jesus even smashes into the scene, with his own baptism, John says, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Like real powers on the way. Can I just say that the strongest evidence that someone is empowered by the Holy Spirit is that we live in abounding hope. Peace and love and faith and joy. You want, you want someone to come up and ask you what is going on in your life. Practice hope. It's foreign. It is noticeable. And that is why we have the power of the Holy Spirit along with scriptures to help us. And then John the Baptist gives us a third. It's in Matthew 3, 8. He looks at the people that are there and says this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We humans try to find hope in so many other places than in Jesus Christ. We look to our families and our friends, our professions and work, our finances and calendars, our health and well-being, our cultural or social status. We look for hope in all of these places. And I'm going to tell you, none of those have the attributes of God. They all change. They all are weak. They all go away. None of them can bring us true hope. When any of these are shaken or broken, our hope crumbles away, and we look for ways to bolster our own sense of peace and joy and love. And when we try to bolster our own sense of peace and joy and love, that almost always includes sin. Almost always. We're just trying to be God for ourselves, trying to medicate or forget, trying to gossip to make ourselves feel better or look better. We're greedy so that our bank accounts can give us hope. It almost always includes sin. And in addition to that, in this darkness that we live, we live under the weight of other sins committed against us. We live under the weight of all creation that is groaning and saying, how long, O Lord? Finding 
the hope in God requires that we bear fruit in confession and repentance. In this sense, confession and repentance is the critical way that we as Christians continually abound in hope. We take the present darkness that is in our own heart and we take it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there he says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will bring you peace. You will find hope because my burden is light and easy.